Kong. All right. So this morning we uh, we're looking at Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 13 through 28. Matthew 16, uh, 13 through 28. So if you've got it with you, you can follow along. Uh, otherwise, you can listen. Uh, before we before we read it, let's pray together. God, we're grateful for for this beautiful morning for. Uh, for less humidity and lower temperatures. We thank you that we are able to gather together here in this space once again, uh, outdoors, uh, listening to the, the sounds of creation and the moving about of people and animals and wind and leaves and trees. And we're just so grateful for that. Grateful that we get to gather together uh, online virtually. And we trust, God, that in this moment, as we worship in this way, that you show up. Because your voice is the voice that we long to hear. And so we ask, humbly but also boldly, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, come and do what you do. Crack open our hearts so that we can hear and understand a word from you. Do it in such a way, please, that changes us, makes us something new and different. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Matthew 16, 13 through 28, hear these words. When Jesus, he's traveling, he's on the road with his disciples, his followers. When Jesus came to, so he's leading them. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, hey, who do people say the Son of Man is? And he's talking about himself. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But but what about you? He asked, "Who, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by people, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Why would he do that? Well, listen to what he says next. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and said, and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of people. 
And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, you'll find it. What good will it be for a person if, if they gain the whole world yet forfeits their soul? Or what can a person give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. We will go that far. So much there. <laughs> so, yeah, we don't have time for all of it, so we're going to focus sort of on the whole story, and then we're going to end with what's at the end. Um, but before we do that, I want us to all, just for a few minutes, I'd like us to all go back to the beginning of this pandemic thing that we're all still experiencing, still experiencing. And I want us to, I want us to connect with that that feeling of strangeness, like really strange when this whole thing started. I mean, connect with that feeling. Here we were being told that a virus had invaded our community, and we were being told that it's dangerous, like, y'all, we are in danger here. And then all of a sudden, what happened? Almost everything shut down, and it felt super strange and weird. The health experts were doing their very best to tell us how to handle this, right? They're telling us to, they're telling us to wash our hands frequently. They're still telling us to do that. And they told us to, to don't touch our faces. Remember, remember when they told us first not to touch our faces and we were all like, oh my goodness, I touch my face all the time, like 142 times a minute. And it was crazy and uncomfortable and weird and strange. And then they told us, keep your social distance. It's part of our vocabulary now. We talk that way. Keep your distance, no closer than six feet, right? Suddenly dots were, began to appear on the floor in Hy-Vee and Target and Walmart. Experts were telling us that at the beginning, they were telling us, hey, masks might help. They might not. We're not sure. It's probably a good idea. Now we realize masks are pretty important, and so we wear them. But back then, we really didn't know. All of it, it all of a sudden felt so strange. It almost felt like we were living in a different world. It was almost like our home, our home community had totally and completely transformed into something new. We were like we were living in a strange land. Everything was different. Even going to do normal everyday stuff felt really weird. It felt really strange. Like people were trying their best to keep their distance from one another. Nobody else, did you experience this? Nobody else would look anybody else in the eye when you were out in public. It was really creepy. Some people were wearing masks. Some people were not wearing masks. And it almost it almost seemed like everyone was suspicious of everybody else, especially if you were like walking through a store. Suddenly, perfect strangers, just normal human beings like you and me, all of a sudden they felt dangerous to us. All of a sudden it felt like they were, they were a threat to us in some way. I mean, you would, you would walk through a store and all of your senses were on high alert. The hair on the back of your neck would stand on end. It just felt so strange. Do you remember that? It feels strange still. 
connect with that feeling of strangeness. Connect to it. I want you to connect with that feeling because it's likely that that's the kind of feeling that the disciples were experiencing. Not because they were going through a pandemic, but because they were actually in a strange land. In our story this morning, it says that Jesus had led them to the region of Caesarea Philippi, a place where it would, it would be strange to them. They would feel uncomfortable. Think about that. Jesus actually led them to a place where they would feel strange, where they would feel uncomfortable. Why would Jesus do such a thing? I think part of it is because what he was going to teach them later on would feel so strange and uncomfortable. And maybe he just wanted to, to sort of set the mood. So there they are in this region of Caesarea Philippi. It's Philippi. It's a, a strange foreign land. There would have been temples and altars to all sorts of different Greek and Roman gods all around them. So their spiritual sensitivity would have been heightened. They would have been on edge. They would have felt awkward. The, the hair on the back of their necks would have been standing on end. They may have had goosebumps flooding their skin. They, they would have been suspicious of the people that were around them. There would have been strange rituals happening all around them with weird sounds and strange chanting and funky smells as, as people sort of made their sacrifices to different gods on all of these altars all around. And it's in that place of strangeness that Jesus asked them a question. He's like, who do people say that I am? And his disciples are like, well, some people say you're like Elijah, because Elijah did lots of miracles and healings and stuff, and it seemed like he was powerful in that way. And some people, some people say that you're like John the Baptist. You're, you're calling people to repent, to sort of turn around and live a new kind of life. And some people say you're like Jeremiah or one of the prophets because you're the one who, who keeps telling us to move to the margins, to take care of the poor, to the marginalized, to the people who've been, who've been pushed out. And that's really important to God. And so some people are saying you're like Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. And I think at that point, Jesus would have been like, okay, not bad. Like that's, they're close. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter is the first to answer. He says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And it's like all of a sudden Jesus gets all excited, right? He's like, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, right? For this was revealed to you not by any person, but by the divine, by my father in heaven. Your new name is now Peter, Petros, the rock. And on this rock, you're like the foundation. I will build my church on you. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, the gates of death shall not overcome it. And at this point in the story, you can almost see it if you imagine it. Like Peter's feeling really good about himself. Like his chest is out a little bit puffed up. He's trying to suppress a smile because of the pride inside, but he can't really do it. Because here's this guy. He had left his small fishing business that he had, he had built from the ground up in order to take on a new life with Jesus. He left all the comforts of home to take on the tough life on the road with the new teacher. He left the familiar, everything that he knew, the familiarity of everyday life to take on the uncertainty of life with Jesus on the road. 
who is always on the move. And now here in this moment, man, it all pays off. You are the rock, Peter. Like you're the first stone on which I'm going to build this entire movement. It's going to change the world. Get ready for it. It's coming. So Peter's feeling great. And then all of a sudden, Jesus messes everything up. Totally and completely ruins the moment. He starts, he starts talking about how the road to Jerusalem is like paved with nails or something, and they're going to use these nails in order to pierce my body. He keeps telling them about how he's going to have to suffer. He's like, I'm going to have to suffer. People are going to ridicule me. People are going to hate me. They're going to spit on me. They're, they're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. But somehow, after three days in the ground, somehow God's going to reclaim my life. And Peter's all confused. So he takes Jesus aside and he begins to scold him. He's like, not you. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You know what that means. That, that can't happen to you. He's got a whole set of beliefs that are totally crumbling to the ground. He's like, this can't happen to you. And Jesus won't have any of it. He turns to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of people. So in an instant, Peter goes from being the rock, the foundation on which Jesus is going to build this whole movement, to being a stumbling block, like a rock in the road, on the trail, threatening to trip Jesus up. So he goes from way up here to way down here, like in an instant. Now let's pause for a moment and think a little bit about Peter's reaction when, when Jesus starts talking about, about his own suffering and how it was going to happen and that it was somehow necessary. He says, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. And I think we can understand. I think we can understand why Peter would feel this way, right? Because Jesus is a friend. Peter and the rest of the disciples have been, have been with Jesus on the road for something like two and a half years, maybe even a little bit longer now. They formed a, a close, tightly knit community, really tightly knit family. Peter doesn't want Jesus to die. Can't die. But beyond that, Peter can't comprehend a Christ, a Messiah, the son of the living God. Can't, can't comprehend a Messiah that dies, a savior that deliberately gives up his life. Because here's what Peter thinks. Peter's Messiah was supposed to come and crush the Romans. Like he was thinking to himself, come on, Jesus, where's all the rhetoric of violence and imperialism? Where's your sword? Like, where's the big stallion on which you're going to ride into Jerusalem? Where, where is your army? Like, we got to muster some people here and get them ready because we're going to smoke the Romans right? You're going to liberate us, right? You're going to help Israel rule the whole world, right? We are God's people. And that's how we're going to do it. Of course, that kind of thinking was born out of not very good theology. And a totally mis total misunderstanding of the heart of God and who this Messiah, Savior, the one who's going to come and fix it all, the one who's going to put it all back together. Total misunderstanding of who that person was going to be. It was born out of, was born out of selfish hearts, really. Of people who, 
who just wanted the power to rule so that we could make the world the way we want the world to be so that we could rule. And to that, Jesus says, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of people. But let's just be honest about it for a minute. We, we know Peter. Like we, we know him. He's us. We, we are Peter. I mean, we too have our own little versions of, of how events in our lives are supposed to work out. We have our own little versions of Jesus, too, who Jesus ought to be. And we have our own little versions of, of what Jesus should look like and how Jesus ought to act in our own lives and in the world. And more often than not, our, our versions of Jesus look like an like a action figure, plastic Jesus that we could carry with us, or, or like a Lego minifigure. We make Jesus out of Legos, and we can carry him around like he's our, like he's our little friend who... It just gives us what, he, what we want. Jesus made just how we want him to be. Peter had a version of the Messiah that he wanted. And this version that Jesus was talking about was not that. And having in mind not the things of God, but the things of people, I think that bears itself out in our lives in all sorts of different ways. I think it affects the way that we think about God. I think it affects the way that we even communicate with God. I think if we're honest about it, often we find ourselves bargaining with God. We're like, God, if you could just let me get through this next season or this next thing at work, I promise you, man, I'll pray more. I promise you. I'll go to church every Sunday. If you could just get me through this next season of school or this next big thing that's coming at me in my neighborhood or this next responsibility, I promise you, I will give more. I promise you. If you do this, that's just another way of having in mind not the things of God, but the things of men. And that's not, that's not how Jesus taught us to think about and communicate with God, is it? How did God, how did Jesus teach us? I mean, he gave us a prayer. He's like, if you're going to pray, if you're going to communicate with God and think about God, do it like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We lead with that. Not, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. It's not, God, let your will be whatever I want it to be, and then I'll do. It's, no, your will be done. Your, that's where we start. Here's the deal, though. Jesus doesn't even let it get that far with Peter. Because you know Peter was going to bargain. You know he was about to jump in and be like, Jesus, you don't have to die. You don't have to do it this way. Like, if you just do it this way, we can get exactly what it is that we want. We can muster up an army. We can make it happen. We can build a revolution. You're that kind of charismatic leader. If you do that, I will do that. You know he was about to bargain with Jesus, but Jesus doesn't even let him get that far. Instead, he names Peter's words and thoughts for what they really are. Get behind me, Satan, in league with that one. And then he takes it one step further and he begins teaching him and the rest of the disciples about how to cultivate a deep and abiding relationship with him, a deep and abiding relationship with the divine. He says, if anyone's going to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, 
and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, if you lead with you, whoever wants to save his life, you're just going to lose it. But whoever loses his life, surrenders for my sake, that's where the juice is. That's where you find it. Can you believe that? He said that. He said, let's go to Jerusalem, guys, and essentially said, come to Jerusalem and die with me. That was his invitation. What? Like, you're crazy, Jesus. Crosses? Losing life? Denying ourselves? That's not, what you, that's not how you get what you want. It's not how it works in the world. It's not how the world works. You don't, you get what you want by going to get it. You just go. Denying yourself? Losing your life? Giving your life away? Letting go of your own selfish ambitions? Sacrifice? That's, that's the Jesus way. Saying no to everything else in this life that prevents us from following Jesus closely. Even if it's into places we, we, we might not want to go. Even if it's strange. Even if it's uncomfortable. Even if it's weird. Letting go of all that prevents us from following. You know, Eugene Peterson. I love Eugene Peterson. Uh, and he's one of the, the greatest... I think theologians of, of our time. He had a lot to say about denying oneself and letting oneself go and our capacity to say no. Listen to his words. I've actually shared these with you before, but they're so good. We could probably do them every other week and it'd be good for us to hear. He says this, grammatically, the negative, our capacity to say no is one of the most impressive features of our language. The negative is our access to freedom. Only humans can say no. Animals can't say no. Animals do what instinct dictates or what training embeds in them. No is a freedom word. I don't have to do what either my glands or my culture tells me to do. The judicious, well-placed no frees us from careening down many a blind alley, from bushwhacking, love that word, from bushwhacking through many a rough detour, frees us from debilitating distractions and sac seductive sacrilege. The art of saying no sets us free to follow Jesus. The art of saying no sets us free to follow Jesus. Only humans can say no. Animals can't say no. I love that. That's so true, right? Anybody own a dog or a cat or an animal that you've invited to live indoors with you? Anyone who's ever owned a dog or a cat knows that this is true. Humans can say no, but animals, they just cannot say no. When I was a kid, we had this dog, a little cocker spaniel, and her name was Buffy. I don't know why we named her Buffy. I think it's my sister's fault. I think she did it. If you're watching Abby, I forgive you. But that dog, if you put a little human piece of food in front of that dog, man, it would be gone in less than half a second. Boom. Our cat, Jessie, we have a cat, lives in our house with us. Yeah, our cat, Jessie, is the same way. Like, 
<laughs> we can't even have loaves of bread or, or bags of buns on the counter or a box of donuts. We can't have any of that on the counter. You know what we have to do? We have to put it way up high on top of the, on top of the cupboards where only dad can reach it. And Renee, if she really stretches, right? Because the second we walk out the door to go anywhere, where do you think Jesse does? Jesse is up on that counter immediately. We know this because sometimes we'll get in the van and we'll be ready to leave and we'll get into the driveway and be like, oh, I forgot my water bottle. We have to go back in to grab it. And where's Jesse? On the counter every single time. Dogs, cats, animals, they can't say no. They don't have that capacity. But we can. We can. Because we have heart. We have soul. We have the image of God embedded on who we, in the core of who we are. We don't have to say no. We don't have to deny ourselves. We get to. Like it, it, it's a privilege to have the ability to throw off everything that gets in the way of us following Jesus, even if it's into a strange land that makes us uncomfortable where we don't want to go. So what is it for you? How do you need to deny yourself? What do you need to say no to? What part of yourself needs to die What do you need to let go of in order to in order to love others more deeply? Chances are you know and chances are you don't want to let it go. And that's okay because letting it go is really hard. Denying ourselves is really hard. So Jesus had to show us how to do it. He showed us a pattern of living. Jesus said no to the comforts of heaven in order to become a human being and show us exactly what God looks like and what it looks like to be a true, authentic human being. Jesus said no, no to the powerful people in this world in order to identify with those who have heard the word no their entire lives. Those who have been told that they are not worth anything, those who have been told that they deserve what they're getting, those who have been told that there's something wrong with them. Jesus said no to sickness and he brought healing. Jesus said no to violence and vengeance. And while hanging on the cross, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus said no to this life, allowing himself to die so that we, so that we could live, so that we could live, so that we could live a new kind of life based on the life of Jesus and based on the cross, a cruciform life. That's the life he told us will really give us life, the kind of life where we, where we give ourselves away, 
where we sacrifice ourselves in love for our community, for our brothers, our sisters, for our neighbors, for our co-workers, for our friends, for people we go to school with, for the whole world. Jesus said that's the kind of life that is true life. And when you live that kind of life, you will really, you'll really be living. Let's pray. God, thank you for this hard, uncomfortable world word because, because letting go and saying no and denying ourselves and, and moving forward, it's a really hard thing to do. And it's a scary thing to do. Because we want what we want and we think we know what's best. Help us to let go of that. Help us to fully surrender our lives to you so that we can go wherever it is you want us to go, even if it's uncomfortable and scary, in order for us to love like you loved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.